0: Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushavel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of May 22, 2016. Another Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout is history. This past Friday, in spite of torrential rains and congested traffic due to 80,000 people coming to Louisville for the NRA convention, Thirty-five people came to roundabout. We had Braille instruction, iPhone help, a dinner of hamburgers, chips, green beans, and ice cream sandwiches, cards and crafts, but the highlight of the evening was a presentation by Larry Skutkon from the American Printing House for the Blind about the new low-cost Orbit Reader 20 Braille display. Larry brought a prototype of the Orbit Reader 20 with him and, if it were available for purchase right now, he could have sold 15 of them right on the spot. Talk about excitement! The room was electrified. As Sue Ellen Milo said on Facebook later that night, the Orbit Reader 20 is cute and small, and even if you already have an Apex or other note-taker, you'll just have to have an Orbit Reader 20 also. The Braille is really good. The design is sleek and attractive and it promises to be easy to use by people who have no prior experience with note takers. True, it doesn't have some of the bells and whistles of the -the top-of-the-line note takers like databases and many formatting capabilities, but it appears that it will hold its own on reading braille books and magazines as well as be useful as a way to write simple documents that don't require formatting and it'll Bluetooth to your iPhone so you can read your email, surf the Internet, play games, or do whatever you want to do when you Bluetooth a Braille device to a phone. Through the generosity of J.P. Morgan Chase, eight leadership fellows are coming to the 55th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind, July 1-9 through in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Kim Charlson, President of ACB, reviews the development of this new program, and reveals the winners of the Leadership Fellows competition on page 2. There's been much discussion over the past two weeks or so about accessible currency. The United States government has announced that the $20 bill and the $5 bill will soon have a new look, and questions immediately surfaced about what that means for accessible currency. Don't miss page 3 where Eric Bridges, Executive Director of ACB, shares our frustration and displeasure about the apparent lack of government commitment to making accessible currency a reality. Eric also reviews the status of government rules related to web accessibility, another area where there has been much foot-dragging going on for quite some time. Our long-time Sound Prince listeners will recall that there has been much consternation and unrest at various times over the past several years related to the Kentucky School for the Blind. The school just celebrated its 174th birthday at its annual Founder's Day ceremony this month. Dr. Stephen L. Pruitt, Kentucky Commissioner of Education since last fall, spoke to the Assembly at Founder's Day. Listen on page 4 as he briefly outlines his views related to the school. Notice that at the beginning he clearly states that he is the superintendent of the school. This is indeed interesting since KSB has been without a superintendent since 2002. This recording does have some echo because it was made from the audience. It is relatively short, and we think Dr. Pruitt's comments are significant. And on page 5 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. Kim Charlson, President of the American Council of the Blind, is on the phone with me. We are today going to be talking about the leadership fellows that have now been named and will be attending the 55th Annual Conference of the American Council of the Blind in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome, Kim. Thank you, Carla. Tell us about this exciting program. We talked about it when it first came out, when we were just inviting people to apply to be a leadership fellow. But now the applications are finished. The they've been reviewed by the committee, and they have now been selected. So, tell us uh, tell us what's going on with this exciting program.
1: All right. Well, just as a little bit of background, the um, the Funding for this fellowship program is um, provided to ASCB from J.P. Morgan Chase, and they have a very strong commitment to leadership development, and this is a really high priority for them, and they, they were very excited to help fund this opportunity where we can bring eight potential future leaders of the organization from all across the country to our convention in Minneapolis and provide them with some leadership training and the just the experience of being a part of an ACB National Convention. So many people who come for the first time to the convention just can't stop saying how empowering and exciting it is to be among a whole ballroom full of advocates and blind people doing all kinds of different things and exciting things. So it is very energizing and very empowering for people. The The process was very competitive. We had over 30 applications from individuals all around the country. And the committee within ACB that really did the yeoman's work on this was The Derwood K. McDaniel First Timers Committee, Um, in addition to their ongoing work of selecting a recipient from the East and the West to come as a first-timer to the National Convention, I asked them to also coordinate and do the interviews for all of the applicants for the Leadership Fellows, so that added a lot of work to their plates. And they had quite a vigorous schedule mapped out with teams of people that interviewed by phone all of the applicants. So that was a lot of background work. And they really did provide um, some excellent documentation to me and to Eric Bridges, our executive director, and we made the final decision on the recipients. There's eight recipients of the Leadership Fellowship, and I'm going to tell you just a little bit about each of them as, um, as we go through. And I'm going to take the liberty, as being from Massachusetts, to, um, to be very proud that we have a Leadership Fellow from Massachusetts, and her name is Deanne Elliott. And she is an excellent advocate. She's, she's doing a lot of work here in Massachusetts. And I I personally know that because she is the chair of my library board of directors. Uh, She joined our board in 2011. She's also worked on a structured negotiation with Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary, and she's now the legislative chair for the Bay State Council of the Blind. So others may have heard of Deanne because she's a published author, and she um, wrote an article that was printed in the Wall Street Journal on July 26, 2015 that talked about web accessibility. And if you can get an article in the Wall Street Journal, um, you're doing pretty good as a writer, I think. Absolutely. So we're um, we're very proud of her, and I'm really thrilled that she will be at her first convention as well as one of the leadership fellows. So going down a little farther south, um, we have... Miguel, but he goes by Mike um, Palomar, and he's from, from San Antonio, Texas, and he is, was recognized last year by the ACB of Texas as their um, first-time winner, and he's incredibly involved with um, youth activities. He's gotten a guide dog. He's bilingual. He's doing a lot of advocacy in Texas, and they just can't say enough good things about him and the um, the things he's making possible for their affiliate. So we're really looking forward to having him, and, and I have to laugh because he is the only man out of all of the eight fellowships, so he's going to have quite a... a, a collection of, of lady companion <laughs> fellows with him. So. <laughs> but I, I think he'll, uh, he'll manage that task well. Another, we'll go to the Pacific Northwest, and we have two fellows from the state of Washington, um, Mika White, and Mika is younger. She's in her 30s. She is the second vice president of the Washington Council of the Blind, um, she's the coordinator in Washington State of their Braille Challenge event. She works with kids. And she's recently taken on a position at the um, Seattle Lighthouse for the Blind and is doing very well in her new job. So she's very warm, very compassionate. I love talking to her um, and just thinks she's going to be a fantastic fellow.
0: She also... Uh does a lot of singing that's right yes in she karaoke she's done all kinds of not just the you know let's let's head down to the corner bar karaoke kind of oh, thing but contests contest definitely and so good on. Kind of oh like yes the, the contests
1: where you 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 sing and people vote for you and yes. all those kind of things i, so. think,
0: I think i hope i'm not Misquoting where she's going to be doing this, but I think I saw where she's going to be singing the national anthem, maybe at the uh, their state fair this oh, summer. Wonderful. So, yeah. quite an honor. Yeah, she is very musically gifted.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the other person from Washington State is Debbie Cook Lewis, mm-hmm. and she is also um, on the board of the Washington Council of the Blind. Um, when I reached out to her. Um, to let her know about her being selected as a fellow, she had just returned from a chapter visit to Yakima, where she hadn't been there for maybe 15 years or so. And that's where she grew up, and she knew a lot of people, but she hadn't been back to the chapter in her new role as a member of the Washington Council Board. So some people might know her from ACB Radio, she and her husband Rick. Have um, a couple shows on ACB Radio Interactive, and she is very involved with technology. That's what I remember her and mm-hmm. associate her with as being very technologically savvy. Um, so she will she will be attending as a as a fellow. Well, she will certainly
0: love the convention with all the technology that's there.
1: That's right. So we've got um, another Debbie that um, is from your home state of Kentucky. Yes. And um, she's got some great leadership background. She's been involved in Girl Scouting um, with sighted girls as well as being the leader for the um, Kentucky School for the Blind Girl Scout troop for many years. Mm -hmm. And she's um, involved with Kentucky Council of the Blind and the – greater Louisville chapter, so I'm sure I'm going to let you fill in the blanks there for me because you
0: know Deb really well. I do. Debbie Dethridge has also been very involved with the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association over the years. She's currently the first vice president for the Alumni Association. She's been on the um, KCB board. She is, though I think the, the the main thing right now is that she's president of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. And you know, Kim, sometimes we think we do great things and I was I'm the immediate past president of that chapter. And uh, when I when I termed out as president of that chapter, we were doing about probably 12, 15 activities a year in that range, maybe, maybe one or two more. But um, we're now doing activities every week and uh so i'm real pleased that under debbie Deathridge's leadership we've gone from you know what a, a little over a dozen activities a year to 50 a year and just in That's the last amazing it is and in the last three <laughs> weeks we've had 40 our attendance has been 41 38 and 37 so she has us all roaring along in the right direction well she does and when I
1: spoke to her to let give her the good news, she had just gotten back. Yes. It was it was um, Derby Day, yes. And uh, <laughs> when I called her earlier in the day, I remembered that the Kentucky Derby was running. I said she's either at a party, you know, or <laughs> or planning a party or hosting a party, and I I was right. She she was working hard at your chapter's
0: um, yes. Derby party. Yes, she doesn't just. She doesn't just stand around and lead and wait for someone else to do the job. She had been working, um, uh, on her feet almost the entire day. I bet she didn't sit down over fifteen or twenty minutes the whole day. And um for for her, including the cleanup that night, it was around eleven hours. So she leads by example. She gets she in there and
1: pitches she right does. in. I was I was very impressed with that, and it came home when I talked to her. She said, I'm exhausted, but, but now I'm excited when I told her that she was a winner. So right. She was right. very, very pleased.
0: She'll be a great choice. We have
1: a, um, a woman from Maryland named mm-hmm. Sandra Spiletta right. and she's an older woman. She's an attorney. Um, she went to Harvard, so she's... Pretty sharp, I would say. I guess. (laughs) And uh, and she's only been blind for about the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. And she has just really connected with ACB and advocacy work, and she brings her legal talents to advocacy and is doing a lot for folks in Maryland and the D.C. area. She's also active in in the D.C. Council of the Blind. Mm -hmm. So she's... uh, I'm looking forward to meeting her. I haven't had an opportunity to meet her personally, but she's quite impressive and I think we'll will be doing
0: many things for ACB. Kim, you know, one of the things that uh, I think her choice, her selection points out is that there is a really, really talented group of people among those who are losing their vision at you know, middle age, or you know, as they're, as they're coming, they're they're thinking that they here they're in a profession that maybe they won't be able to continue, and now they are. Um, and there's there's so much talent and so much, so many skills in that group, and um, I think. Her selection shows that uh, we, can, we can certainly benefit from a lot of the leadership knowledge and skills that people in that category know, too. It doesn't always have to be uh, a young person at, at who's 20 coming up and getting involved in leadership, that, that there's, there's leaders in every age group.
1: Exactly. Good, good point.
0: We also have Kim
1: Ebert and she's from Louisiana. And she's relatively new to being both legally blind and to ACB within the last four or five years. But she is a dynamo down there in Louisiana. And it seems her area of expertise to help out the Louisiana Council of the Blind is in the area of fundraising. She's been involved in a lot of different fundraising activities, planning dinners, coordinating, dining in the dark events. Auctions. Um, she's a member of the uh, the auction committee for ACB's um, convention auction, and um, and is also, I think, on our resource development committee as a general member. We do have a few folks who are general members on that committee, and um, she's she's a very strong advocate for technology, for particularly the Android technology. Um, most. You know, I always say most blind folks seem to be advocating for the iOS, the Apple devices and things, but she's pretty active in advocating for Android access, which I think is great, because we need people to champion that as well to make sure that Android keeps up. So she's, um, she's younger, and she's definitely um, a dynamo in her area. And our eighth fellow is Sheila Young, and Sheila is from Orlando, Florida, and she is um i believe she's a paraprofessional with um students who are blind visually impaired and have other disabilities in the orlando school system as her work and she is the immediate past president of the greater orlando council of the blind and is quite involved with their trivia contest and a lot of their other activities they have a pretty good sized chapter. I'd say like fifty or sixty people in that chapter in Orlando. So being the president of that chapter is quite a bit of work. Kind of like your chapter. With, yes,
0: yes. With the size you have in Louisville. I got to know Sheila when she was a member of the Orlando host committee in two thousand nine, and um, when we had our when we had our uh, meeting there in the fall. Um, Mike Smitherman had came, of course, with the convention committee. And when he found that Sheila was on the committee, he came to me and he said, you know, he said, she's going to really be a, a, a dynamo on this committee. I said, how do you know? And he says, because she used to live in Mississippi. And she moved to Florida. It was Mississippi's loss and Florida's gain. And it certainly was. All of these people are
1: just super impressive. And it's going to be my honor to... Um introduce them to the membership of ACB, both in um, a president's message coming up in the ACB Braille Forum mm-hmm. and um, in the opening session at the convention in Minneapolis. They are going to sit up on the stage, and each of them will be introduced and have about one minute, because that's all I can give them, <laughs> to just speak and say thank you and how much this means to them. and. Um, hopefully um, that way they'll the names will be familiar so when they meet other people all during convention week people will congratulate them and you know share the excitement of having um, eight leadership fellows as part of acb's um, programming at our convention and this is definitely something we want to we want to continue and um, eric and i have already had conversations about how we're going to make it happen for the future Definitely we want to keep it going.
0: Well the amount of interest that was shown in this this year really indicates how successful this is being right now and it will be a wonderful thing to be able to continue to, to bring key people to, to the convention and to expand the number of the amount and the number of experiences that people can have and take back to their local and state, chapters and affiliates and um you know anytime you go to a national convention you just come home so energized you are worn out absolutely worn out but you come back with all of this just information that you gather almost by breathing
1: it's oh, just true. so exciting it is it really is and i Just urge anyone who has an opportunity to attend a convention, even at the state level.
0: I was fortunate
1: to visit the Kentucky Council of the Blind Convention in 2015 in November, and I really enjoyed your convention. So if you haven't been to a state convention, start with that, because um, the Kentucky Council Convention is fantastic. (laughs) A lot of fun, good food, fellowship, and lots of terrific information. You're fortunate to be right there with APH where there's so many new developments being initiated all the time new technologies you know invented that your chapter gets an opportunity to see firsthand mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. many people all around the country get a chance to look at it so it's a it's a great place to to network and
0: connect with folks so well, thank you, and I'm sure that the Bay State Council has that opportunity, too, of being right there with Perkins and the Carroll Center and National Braille Press. I mean, my goodness, it's exactly. you, you couldn't ask for any better. We really appreciate you being on Sound and and introducing the Leadership Fellows to our listenership, and we hope that many, many, many of the people hearing this program will be in Minneapolis to meet the Leadership Fellows in person.
1: Thank you Carla for the opportunity to share and talk about this new program of ACB.
0: Right, and thanks to JP Morgan Chase too for making Absolutely. it possible. Thank you. Page 3. Eric Bridges is the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind. The office is based in Alexandria, Virginia. And Eric is with us today to talk about recent developments concerning accessible currency in the United States. Welcome, Eric.
2: Hi, Carla. It's good to be with
0: you. Glad you're here. The uh, Bureau of Engraving and Printing and basically the United States government has announced some changes in... Bills, we knew there was going to be a change in $10 bill, but now they've announced a change in the $20 and um, possibly changes in others as well. So would you give us an update on the status of those changes and information that we've received about the possibility of accessible currency in the future?
2: Sure. So there are really two different issues at work. I think that the the Treasury Department has been a little uh, political. Actually, one could argue that they've been very political. In uh, the statement that came out in late April uh, from Secretary of the Treasury, Jack Lew, where he announced that they were going to redesign the portraits for the 20 and the 5. Mm-hmm. So that, that is not, in and of itself, a redesign of a banknote. Mm-hmm. That simply deals with the portrait. On the banknote. So if you'll recall, I think the 20 they're going to put Harriet Tubman on or something mm-hmm. like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Doing an actual banknote redesign requires a lot of technical changes and security features and, and other such things. This week, uh, actually, it was late last week. Uh, There was an announcement, and on on Monday of this week we we put out a release dealing with the government's intent to redesign, to do an actual full redesign of the $10 bill. Mm -hmm. The government, per the court order, uh, which, by the way, we won, Yes. in 2008 which is getting further and further away required that the government make paper currency accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired under mm-hmm. the law mm-hmm. that's what it says and in 2008 under Judge Robertson at the time who has since retired uh, the the common thinking or the you know subject matter experts, and frankly, history had sort of dictated, that a new bill redesign would occur every seven to ten years. Okay. And as many of your listeners are probably aware and may have even participated in uh, focus groups at our convention down through the years or other blindness-related conferences where the Bureau of Engraving and Printing has come, they have sought out our community to get information on how to move forward with the tactile feature. Because the tactile feature will be a part of the $10 bill because it is the banknote that's under redesign right now. Correct. So it was targeted to have roughly 2018. Then a couple of years ago, uh, the government said, well, it's, we're a little behind. It's looking more like 2020. Well, in this announcement from the government on Thursday of last week, which is a rec- it's essentially a required status report that they uh, file with with the judge in the case, which is now Judge Howell. They are now saying that that due to security concerns, that the ten dollar bill will not be complete until at the latest 2026, mm-hmm. which, if you do the math, is yeah. roughly two decades <laughs> yes. since the time of, of the court decision. Obviously, we are deeply disturbed and concerned. Uh, some may even say that we're a little angry about this because, in our, in our view, security and uh, accessibility don't necessarily have to all be lumped in with one another.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, so there will, be, there will be action taken by ACB in the coming weeks uh, with the court. And uh, after we do that, we'll reveal what we did. Uh, obviously, uh, our members are not happy. We are not happy the broader blind community is not happy either. And something needs to be done to, to deal with this. I can tell you that the Senate Banking Committee and the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee are keenly aware of, of this. They've been made aware by us and have reached out directly to the Department of Treasury for a response. So that is sort of where things stand right now. Part of part of the delay from 2018 to 2020, uh, some from the fact that that the government messed up the redesign in the hundred dollar bill. It took uh, more time, and uh, they they overran the project by a significant amount of money. <laughs> so, if you're looking to have faith in government, at least in the production of paper currency,
0: it um, isn't I fare. think
2: you're looking in the wrong place. Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, um, it just sounds like a convoluted mess at this point. It really is.
2: And uh, I apologize if my explanation is less than uh, less than clear, but that is that is where we stand. Well. They are now saying that instead of twenty twenty, it could be as late as twenty twenty six. They make a caveat on a couple of occasions in their in their report saying that they will do everything that they can to expedite the situation. My question is, okay, I'm a taxpayer at this point. I'm not I, I put my, my taxpayer hat on. Why wouldn't we deal with this security issue like right now if it's a security issue?
0: Exactly. Why do we want oh. to, to, to leave a loophole open for 10 years? Exactly. Uh, that's a the, a government statement at its best, Eric. <laughs> it really is. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it is so typical, you know, just so convoluted. It will be interesting to see what comes up in the in the um, near future and down the road. Uh, I I just someone on the um, on the ACBL email list, I think, it was this last week speculated, that they think the government is waiting, is just dragging its feet on accessible currency and uh, probably on other things as well uh, until the, um, the United States becomes virtually a cashless society. And they pointed out that Europe is 80% cashless, you know, credit card, whatever, uh, and 20% cash right now, and that the United States is 60 40 of course, in 10 years, one would assume that that would move um, dramatically toward increasing that 60%. So if they wait long enough, the issue just may not even be there.
2: I don't have any background in
0: this area. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just an interesting um, speculation. But,
2: but, but it is it is interesting speculation. I mean, you know, I, I have uh, Apple Pay on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um I have credit cards in my wallet. Right. Um, I do carry some cash because I just like having cash in my wallet. Uh, in <laughs> so it's of, empowering? Please break glass, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> it is going to be interesting. Uh, there are all sorts of technologies that are out there. Cash will never be completely eliminated. I don't and think so. In, in particular, when you're in, having transactions um, with with people in the service industry, there's always going to be a, a need f- to have the ability to, to handle cash. This is where we are. It's unfortunate, and it's d- disappointing, and it's frankly just, you know, Eric Bridges, the, the taxpaying citizen, it's rather embarrassing that our government would continue to delay in the, in the manner that it has. I don't I, honestly, Carla, I don't feel that it has anything to do with the tactile feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are other things at play, but I, I, I also don't think that the government has handled a lot of the external pressures well, it, it just sort of goes along with some of the other challenges that, that we've seen recently. Uh, disappointments that, that the government has announced, uh, whether it's them essentially electing not to move forward with regulations dealing with, you know, the ADA and the Internet and other stuff. So mm-hmm. it's not been a great couple of weeks <laughs> for uh, for the government, be it the Department of Justice or, you know, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, um, at least not from, from our perspective.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the web accessibility issue? Is can you update us sure. on that a little bit?
2: Sure. So back in two thousand and ten, when I was six years younger, on the on the twentieth anniversary of the uh, of the signing of the ADA, the Department of Justice announced three rulemakings. Advanced notices of proposed rulemakings. One of them dealt with movie theater Uh, captioning and audio description. One of them dealt with furniture, and the third dealt with the applicability of the ADA to uh, commercial websites, Mm -hmm. commercial and or uh, state and local websites. Suffice it to say, none of those three rulemakings have ever made it through to a final regulation. Um, Foot-dragging at its best. Yeah, it was... It would appear as though they did it just out of symbolism. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
2: You know, the cynic in me, uh, actually, I don't even know that it's all that cynical because, you know...
0: Well, I think it's uh, pretty factual.
2: Six years is a very long time. That's right. And obviously industry needed to have its say in this, in weighing in. And they obviously have, but for whatever reason... The government is not elected to move forward, and mm-hmm. so, with regard to the the internet uh, Advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, last year the Department of Justice announced that they were going to kind of bifurcate uh, the internet thing into two. Okay, so the Title Three and then Title Two, and and they would they were trying to move forward with the Title Two. Regulation, which deals with state and local, like colleges, universities, and internet uh, presence, and you know, and making it clear that they uh, that they fall under the auspices of the ADA. Okay, their, all their internet sites. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple weeks ago, they announced that they were withdrawing that advance notice of proposal we're making and that they were going to replace it with a supplemental notice of proposed Runway, in which, essentially, this document, Carla asked over 100 questions. And it's, it's, it's a slap in the face. Um, basically, it says, well, we're going to ignore the last six years <laughs> and all the data that we collected from people and organizations about the internet and the challenges that people with disabilities have in accessing information or communicating over the internet, um, and we're just going to ask you a whole new set of questions—a lot of questions, by the way. <laughs> and so we put out a press release that I think pretty accurately describes how we feel, but I think also the, the broader kind of the tone from the community. It's mm-hmm. One of just you know frustration and anger, um, that we can't get this done, you know, that something like this that seems so, uh, so doable. I mean, we're, we're not even talking about, in this instance, Carla, we're not talking about private business, you know, places of public accommodation. We're talking about state and local government, colleges and universities, stuff that should be, should be sort of like a fish in a barrel, um and they elected not to even really move forward with that. So yes, ACB will be providing comment um, in the, the areas that we deem relevant. Uh, you will likely hear about this at the convention in July as well
0: mm-hmm. from us. I think some people would be maybe expecting to have some timelines on these um, notices of, of proposed rulemaking. Um, obviously, from what has happened um, in in these cases, is that there really is no timeline. Even if they put out a timeline for comment to be in, then they don't move on that comment. So it's it's sort of just lip service. Is is that? Am I reading you incorrectly? It
2: very much feels that way. Yes,
0: I think we'll have plenty to watch. You know when people talk about advocacy, and they say, well, everything's, you know, we've we've got it pretty good, everything's fine. Um, I think we've just talked about some areas where everything isn't good and fine. 20, 25, 26 years ago, when the ADA was passed, the Internet was just really in its infancy compared to what it is today, and the use of the Um, web and so on. So who, I don't think anybody could have really foreseen how much it would involve our entire lives, everything we do um, today. And so things change. There's always new areas of advocacy. To be done, and um, some of us always said advocacy is like Heinz ketchup. You know, it's very, very slow. Sometimes you have a lot of progress, and then suddenly it's Heinz ketchup again, and it just really, really slow. And sometimes it takes a step back, and maybe it never quite catches up to where it was in the beginning. So there's always a need to be watchful, and a need to. Um, to To be very careful about what is happening, and I think these examples that we've talked about today just show us how important the advocacy continues to be, and that we all need to work together to to get it done. And um, so, I I really appreciate you explaining these issues because they're there have been a lot of questions from people well how come how come we just don't tell them that they have to put that money out right now well you know we'd like to but we we or we'd like to tell them that the web needs to be accessible and you would think that that would be common sense obviously it's not common sense to a lot of people so it just takes time and effort and and uh, and, and continued plodding along so uh, I'm sure it's frustrating from your point of view, especially as hard as you worked on that CVAA. I mean, that was that was a tremendous thing, and uh, I think a lot of good has come out of it, but it, it's still very frustrating to see all this going on, especially in the government where, um, I mean, you, you would expect this from private business, but uh, sometimes you almost get the impression private business is better to work with than the government sometimes.
2: At times it can be. They can certainly, um, you know, when, when they see uh, an opportunity,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, they can move much quicker than the government.
0: Yes, and, and maybe they're in a position to recognize opportunity. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not yeah. sure the government even recognizes opportunity here.
2: <laughs> I suppose so, but, you know, the, the government's interesting in that, um, you know, depending upon the issue, the government can actually move, Rather quickly, mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a matter of uh, of interest, yeah. or of uh, maybe in some cases special interest.
0: Right, right, right. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us, and we'll look forward to hearing updates in the in the next in the coming months and at the convention too. Thank you. Thank you, Carla. Page four.
3: Thank you so much. Good morning. Morning. Um, As Ms. Bill said, I'm Stephen Pruitt, Commissioner of Education for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. But today I'm here um, in one of my more favorite capacities I'm actually superintendent of the Kentucky School of Blind and School of Deaf. You know, I'm actually responsible for 600,000 students across the town of Wellington. But the way I see it, I'm accountable for the students that are here in this school and the school of the deaf. Um, they are the schools that, that report directly to, the, to me and to the State Board of Education. So for me, the exciting part is always when I get to come here. Trust me when I tell you that my other days spending time in Frankfurt, working with adults is not nearly as fun as the opportunity to come and spend time here. So I take these things very very, very seriously. Um, when I came here, uh, when I was going through the interview process, uh, one of the first questions I asked, and I had to go through the interviews at the end they say, Do you have any questions? My first question was actually about the School of Blind, School of Deaf. I had an incredible opportunity when I was in Georgia to work very closely with those schools. And I see the incredible potential. I see the incredible opportunity that we provide our students from across the state. Kids that actually come here every day, as well as the great support that we give across the state. And to me, it's just a very powerful thing that we give our kids. Hope that we give them a quality education, and for me to be a part of something as special as this, this Founders Day at the 174th Founders Day. Next year it will be around 175. And I just can't begin to put into words for you how incredibly important it is for us to continue to work together to, to be in a state of constant improvement. Because you know, the reality is the only thing that our visually impaired and blind students can't do is see as well as we And so we've got to be able to give them every opportunity so they can go and soar, spread their wings, and do those special things that we know that they're all able to do. And that starts and ends with us. And so I am so happy and thankful for the opportunity to come to spend time with you today. I'm thankful for the fact that we care enough about this school that we have a Founders Day and that we continually remind ourselves about how important this school is to the lives of children in community. So thank you for continuing this tradition, and thank you for letting me come and be a little part of it today. I hope all of you have a great time today and a great uh, uh, experience, but I would like you at some point today to pause for about 30 seconds and think about how lucky we are to have this resource in this state. And something I'm trying to remind our legislators of all the time. Something I'm trying to remind our parents of all the time. I just finished an 11-stop tour across the state of town halls, and my most proud times in those are when I'm able to remind people about this story. So take 30 seconds at some point in the day while you're having fun and enjoying Founder's Day, and think about the fact that we have a real trade, and we should be thankful. Because we are truly blessed by having you,
4: so thank you and have a great day. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free of charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash louis.aph.org. Dot dot Locate accessible educational materials from nearly two hundred different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis+. Plus. Visit soon, http colon slash slash l-o-u-i-s a-p-h dot org. Mini-book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's Mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the Mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you call the american printing house for the blind toll free 800 223 1839 or visit www.aph.org
0: page 5 the sound prince calendar on may 25 the kentucky school for the blind will have its 8th grade graduation and middle school high school awards ceremony from 1 to 2:30 p.m. at the school More information at 502-897-1583. And also on May 25, the high school graduation will take place at the school at 6.30 p.m. Again, the number for more info is 502-897-1583. May 27 is another GLCB roundabout. 3.30 to 5 p.m. Education and Technology, 5 to 6 discussion, six to seven dinner five dollars per person and games and crafts from seven to ten call 502-895-4598 for more information in June the following activities are coming up on June 2 the American Council of Blind Lions will have its next conference call meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time at 712 432-3900 432-3900 and the code is seven nine six zero nine six. June 3 to 11 is the Insight 2016 event. It's a chance for visually impaired Kentucky students in grades 10 to 12 to experience a post-secondary setting. It's held on the campus of Moorhead State University. For more information contact Beth Baker at the Kentucky School for the Blind, 502-897-1583, extension 7105. On June 3rd, 10th, 17th, and 24th will be GLCB Roundabouts for June. More information on later sound prints as to specific programming. On June 11th, the American Printing House for the Blind Museum presents Cinema Saturday. The Miracle Worker, From 1962, from 1 to 3 p.m., the first in the three-part series of audio-described movies featuring an important visually impaired character. It's free, but registration is required. Call the museum at 502-899-2213. On June 18, Braille for the Sighted, Workshops for Young People, is presented by the American Printing House for the Blind, from 10:30 a.m. to 12:30 p.m. this is the first of two workshops children can learn braille basics and practice writing on a braille slate and a braille writer advanced students will also learn about braille contractions whole word signs and more attend one or both sessions for ages 8 and up free but registration is required Call the museum at 502-899-2213. June 21, the Tri-State Library users will hold a special conference call program meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. June 25, the American Printing House for the Blind Museum presents Bards and Storytellers with Karen Karsh. Enjoy a performance and questions and answers with Karen, a blind Colorado singer and songwriter who writes about big moments and moments that just feel big, at the Printing House Museum, 1839 Frankfort Avenue, 502-899-2213 for more information. July 1-9 through 9 is the 55th Annual ACB Conference and Convention. ACB, The Land of Ten Thousand Dreams. It will be filled with exhibits, workshops, tours, programs, friends, and lots of fun. At the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 1300 Nicolette Mall, the room rates are $89 a night, plus tax. Room reservations call 888-421-1442. July 9 is another Cinema Saturday. This time... It will feature Daredevil from 2003. From 1230 to 3 p.m., the second in a three-part series of audio described movies featuring an important visually impaired character. The movie is rated PG-13. It's free, but registration is required. Call the museum at 502-899-2213. July 12 to 14 is Gateways 2016. Summer in-service training for Kentucky's vision teachers at the Kentucky School for the Blind. More information, contact Beth Baker at 502-897-1583, extension 7105. On Saturday, July 16, the APH Museum presents another Braille for the Sighted workshop. From 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., for more information, Call 502-899-2213. On August 5 and 6, the KSB 71st Alumni Reunion will be held at the Ramada Inn North, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. For information, call 502-897-1472. Hotel reservations, call 502-897-5101. On August 13, APH presents the last in the Cinema Saturday series for 2016. It will feature The Book of Eli from 2010, 12.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. at the museum. Call 502-899-2213 for more information and to sign up. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for prints Have a great week, everybody.